cold wind runs down the nape of your neck. The chill of the frost snakes around every inch of your body, a force that feels more malevolent with every step you take forward through the blinding white forest. The snow had been relentless for a week now, with it starting earlier in the season than normal. You can't remember which day it was when you were split from the group you had come with, or how long you had been sheltering in the cave from the blizzard. You knew there was no more waiting, however, as your growling stomach made sure you were aware. You needed to find someone, anything, and you needed to find them now. You walk for hours, but every step feels like a day. The cold saps at your energy, making each movement feel as if it were a Herculean effort. It's at the moment you almost feel like dropping and giving in to death that you spot something. A small camp comes into view, with a sputtering fire and a single tent standing against the towering trees around it. Using the last of your energy, you crawl into the warm embrace and take a minute to soak up the heat before opening the tent. Your eyes adjust to the dark, but your brain can't comprehend the scene. Human body parts, flesh and a pot of grease and fat, and a figure more beast than man sat gnawing at a bone. Its gaunt figure shifts as it quickly glances up at you, grey leathery skin and red eyes piercing through the dark. The details on its face contort as little bits of grease and fat dribble down its sickly chin. You try to step back, hoping to escape the nightmare and return to the blistering cold outside. But the figure is quick. Within but a moment, it is tearing at your body with frenzied claws, and in your last moments, you notice the patch on its jacket matches that of the hiking group you had set out with just a long week ago. That, my boys, was the Wendigo, and this is The Red Thread. Welcome to this episode. We talk about cults, cold cases, conspiracies, and this week's subject as well, cryptids. I'm one of your hosts, Jackson, joined by Isaiah and Charlie. Hello, guys. How are you going? Hey, hey, that was an interesting spin on your opening narratives. This time you had the listener die, which is pretty cool, I guess. Have we never had them die before? No, you made them a pedophile once, and then the others <laughs> were like from an outside perspective. Yeah, there was, there was, yeah, I try to put them into the shoes of the good guy. Sometimes. Well, not the pedophile, that wasn't a good guy, that was Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I try to put them in interesting situations each time. This time you die. That's what you get when you show up for the red thread. Nice. That one, that one was like well written. Like the, they're all yeah. good. Don't get me wrong, but that one was like a an interesting like there was no comedic element to that. It was just a well done little opening. I like it. Good cold. Oh open. come on! I thought the little bit of grease and fat dribbling down his sickly chin would have got a chuckle out of someone. No, that that was like gnarly. That was like oh, oh it was very brutal. descriptive. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, comedic. Yeah. It was just like damn, you're painting a picture. Yeah, that I guess good, we have Jack, different so. ideas of comedy then. I almost like that as much as the pedophile one. <laughs> nice. I'm glad I've upped my uh, riding level. It's good practice, honestly. Anyway, before we start, uh, I like to mention this at the start of each of these episodes. We're also on Spotify and iTunes, and we also have a show document with all of our research and writing, so you can follow along with us and pick up on any details that didn't make it into the show itself. You can also read the uh, intro story as well that I've written for each of these episodes uh, in the document. Just in case. We might compile it into a book and release a Red Thread book. <laughs> um, that, would, that would be cool. Uh, you can find these links below in the description along with a bunch of other stuff. And also an enormous thank you to the sponsors for this week, AG1 and Rocket Money. More from them later on in the show. And a big thank you to all of you for listening and supporting the show. It really does mean the world. And Wendigo, how, how much do you guys know? What's your knowledge level? 
pretty base level. I mainly know it from pop culture stuff. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. So like Until Dawn, I believe Pet Cemetery is also the Wendigo, if I'm not mistaken. Pet Cemetery, the Stephen King book? Yeah, yes, isn't it's, that it's about, Wendigo? Yeah, it's the Wendigo. It's the Wendigo, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So mainly those two. <clears throat> okay. uh, I don't think I've heard of it before. Yeah, I can't <laughs> imagine you know anything about him. So, uh, yeah, when, it, when did you first hear about him? Uh, I, I originally heard about the Wendigo when I was a kid. My grandfather used to tell me stories about it. Um, mm-hmm. oh, my family has, like, Cherokee ancestry, so my grandfather always thought it was fun to, like, sit around and talk about Native American legends, things that go bump in the night. Uh, right. And I remember him telling me about the Wendigo. And I'll, I'll talk more about his stories of it because they kind of relate to how the creature has been changed through like cultural adaptation yeah. you could say um but i remember hearing about it as a kid and the imagery of it always interested me and then as i got older and saw the creature as kind of a conglomeration of all these different beliefs stories groups of people it it really kind of stuck out to me as an icon of the way we tell stories the way we yeah. you know change over time so as I wanted to start telling stories, I mean, obviously, I took inspiration, given the name. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's always been, from a young age, it's always been a very, very cool and interesting creature to me. Mm-hmm. So for you those also, of you that don't know, Isaiah is known as Wendy Goon online. Where, where yeah. does the goon come from? What, what uh, is so, that? <laughs> well, tr- tragically, now the word goon has very negative yeah. connotations. Yeah. Well, that, well, that I would argue up, it's like, the best it's ever been right now, man. <laughs> Gooning couldn't be more hot. Yeah, yeah, you know. To be fair, if I had invested in Goon Coin when I started, I'd be oh, loaded by now. I'd mm-hmm. be so well off. But nah. So <clears throat> when I started YouTube, Goon was a term for like guys who like wear night vision, go shooting at night, stuff like that. Uh, think right. more so the way that the term Goon is used by mobsters and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So I, I, and I thought. My early, when I started the channel, I thought a lot of my content was going to relate to that, like firearms, night vision, stuff like that. And I touch on it every now and then, but it's mainly just, you know, stories and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So it hasn't really worked its way in the original definition. But when I started the channel, that was the idea, the combination of the Wendigo and like goon culture, not current goon culture, the old one. So you just mesh those two together, yeah. But see, that's uh, another again. that's another like uh, connection to the idea that these stories change over time. Uh, like the Wendigo story changes <laughs> yeah. over time as different cultures yeah. get a hand on it, and now everyone changes. <laughs> yeah. And now all my comments are ruined forever because it's just people like, "Oh, who's ready for that goon sesh? <laughs> who's ready to start gooning?" Do you feel too attached to your name? Like, would you ever change it? Would you ever just go no. by like Isaiah? No, too I, attached. I, I, I don't change it. Like, uh, I don't have to be Windagoon for everything. Like, when I do writing and stuff like that, I do it under Isaiah. But for YouTube, yeah, it's it's not going anywhere. It's too connected, yeah. Too connected, yeah. Too important. Did I interrupt you, Charlie? Were you going to say something? No, I was just, you reminded me. I also know about the Windagoon from, sorry, the Windigo from uh, (laughs) the Nightmare Room, if you guys remember that old show. I don't. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was like a kids' scary stories type show, and they had mm-hmm. one for the Windigo, if I remember correctly. The TV show well, might Hannibal. Have, uh, might have been. Or are you afraid of the dark? Sorry, are you? What, what did you say? It might have been. Are you afraid of the dark? It was one of the two. Was there ever? Was it? Was there ever a Goosebumps story about the Windigo? I feel like there would have been. 
Probably. with how many goosebumps there were. And what were you saying, uh, Isaiah Hannibal? Yeah, the TV show Hannibal. Yeah, um, definitely. That, that features Wendigoon. That not Wendigoon. It features Wendigo imagery. <laughs> pretty. Yeah. Pretty substantially. Absolutely. Well, the modern interpretation of the Wendigo, anyway. Um, yes. As we'll which get we'll into. get into. Yeah. 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 Okay, so the Wendigo, just for a, a top-level perspective for people, uh, is also known as the Windigo, the Wittigo, the Wittico, the Achen, the Chenu, and Kiwok. And it's a, it's a cryptid that translates to the evil spirit that devours mankind, uh, which is pretty cool. That's, pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty cool <laughs> translation. It's kind of a cryptid that stems from the Al Algonquin people, uh, which uh, is a First Nation language, I believe. You guys might have to like step in here on, on this one. Yeah, so Algonquin is like a dialect um, that's spoken by or at least was spoken by a lot of different tribes in like northeast united states region so groups mm -hmm. of people like the ojibwa uh the cree people like them they would speak algonquin dialects i don't think it was the exact same language i think there were variations of it um but a lot yeah. of the Al algonquin speaking tribes had some legend of the wendigo as a matter of fact the word wendigo like wh while now <clears throat> in legend connotation it means the evil spirit that devours mankind it's believed the original word was Wintekawa, which is, uh, it's, it's like a, der a derived word from the word for owl, because it was believed in some stories that the spirit would appear in like the form of an owl initially when it was kind of in mm. like its natural state. So yeah, the, like there's a, there's a lot, and it's kind of tragic because a lot of those records of original tribes weren't kept, um, or at least they weren't, you know, recovered as, you know, westward expansion destroyed a lot of the culture around it and stuff. So sadly, a lot of that's been lost. But from what has been maintained, that seems to be the original roots of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, and like yeah. you said, it's very prevalent in the uh, Algonquin tribes, like the tribes that spoke that, that language or the derivatives of that language. Yeah. And the tribes, yeah. just, just for people like me who aren't like super familiar with uh, First Nation history and stuff like that. Um, the, the Algonquin people or the people that speak, speak that language extend pretty far down South into America, right? Like I, I I'm pretty mm. sure there's some in like Kentucky and, and Tennessee. So it's yeah, not just yeah. like, they, they come all the way down to like the Ohio river area and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very large area. Yeah. There's a large amount of these tribes covering a pretty large stretch of America and different areas in America that all have their own stories and interpretations of this central figure known as the Wendigo. Is that pretty apt? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Like it's uh, they may have different names for it, but uh, they, it typically follows the same beliefs, ideas, stuff like that. You could even, <clears throat> this is a bit more to be argued, like as we get on into the episode, but even some West Western beliefs, like things around the skinwalkers share some similarities. Yes. Um, a lot of it has changed to where, beliefs around the skinwalker have kind of merged with the cultural idea of things like the wendigo so yeah. people believe that maybe like you know some pages got mixed up at you know in like our our mindset around the two creatures but given some similarities there's theories that maybe it originated as one legend and then as groups of people spread out the stories changed with them as they went um so the, the, there's beliefs that, you know, legends of the Wendigo basically go across the entire North American continent. 
they just maybe are under different names different descriptions stuff like that right yeah and to complete this top level perspective or overview of the wendigo it's basically a cryptid that is formed at least in most stories that i read is formed from a human who kind of leaves the morality of the uh, the society that they're born into and, and does despicable acts such as cannibalism or shows uh, other forms of greed for survival or it's a, it's a lot of cannibalism in like harsh environments just to survive uh, that forms them into the Wendigo and then they become insatiably hungry for human flesh. Uh, that's That's most of the stories I've read and that kind of to me, encapsulates the idea of what the Wendigo is. Um, so, would you guys like to go on about the appearance of yeah, the Wendigo? I'll, I'll take the appearance. So, it's depicted in various ways across different cultural interpretations and time periods. The more historical design is described as emaciated, its skeletal frame protruding through taut, mummified skin. Others envision it as a towering figure reaching up to 4.5 meters in height, its size increasing with each human it consumes to giant proportions. Yeah, so that's an interesting, that's an interesting little uh, side, aside there. Uh, that's in some stories where the Wendigo uh, kind of amasses the bodily proportions of the people that it eats. So mm -hmm. as it becomes more insatiable and more hungry, it grows in size from all the, you know, humans that it eats. So it's just growing in size and becomes more and more insatiably hungry. That's in a lot of those stories and it shows like the, the roots of the story being about how human greed will, uh, it, it can't ever be like um, uh, satisfied because you'll just keep getting hungrier. Yeah, that's like um, with the original legends of the Wendigo, like the earliest recorded ones, their appearance was almost that of a corpse. Like they were described mm -hmm. as very emaciated, their their lips would be gone, their eyelids gone. They look like <clears throat> these bodies that have just got up and started walking around. And they would feast on they weren't that powerful originally. They would like feast on dead animals and stuff like that. But then as the legend became more fierce, it became more stories of like things that go bump in the night. It developed like you, you know, superhuman speed or like claws or something. It became more of a predator. Um so then that legend begins to meld with other legends of the time, legends of giants in the area, which people from my channel know I have a bit of an obsession with. <laughs> legends of giants of the area kind of fused together with legends of the Wendigo, and you started to get these stories of these creatures that become taller and taller, and in some stories they're as tall as the trees, and they go through looking for any creature to devour. Uh, a detail that's pretty common across Algonquin stories is that they're never not hungry. They're constantly mm -hmm. ravished. Uh, which is part of the curse of having the Wendigo spirit possess you. Because the yep. Wendigo isn't like you eat this thing and then you just transform into a creature. It's if you commit an, unspeakly, an unspeakable act like cannibalism, you are possessed by an evil spirit that turns your body into this creature. So the host never feels satisfied. They're basically uh, a passenger, like they're, like they're being possessed. They're taken over by whatever this evil spirit wants. So you're a prisoner in your own body and miserable constantly as you witness yourself kill and hurt people around you. So yeah. it's very, it's very, <laughs> a very not good thing to happen. Very strong way to deter ideas of things like cannibalism. Yeah, exactly. In these like tight knit communities where you want to kind of deter these things, it's a very effective uh, story. Yeah. Uh, to kind of you know do that. Uh, and this is this is this, so this is the more historical design, the one that Charlie just. Uh, described this is the more historical design or 
um, description of what the Wendigo is. And interestingly enough, I think the most uh, accurate representation of that is in the uh, game Until Dawn. I was just about yeah. to say, yeah, that's exactly yeah. how it's depicted in Until Dawn for the most part. Yeah, in a, yep. lot, a lot of other stuff these days in the modern uh, representation of the Wendigo, uh, it's, it does differ a lot from that kind of visual representation of this like sickly, uh, kind of like a zombie almost or a vampire kind of aesthetic, like a, a classical vampire anyway, uh, aesthetic. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, it differs from that. But yeah, Until Dawn was very, very faithful to that. Until Dawn, uh, I believe it's been a while since I've seen it, but I'm pretty sure Supernatural and their second episode they did Wendigos, and I think um, they called it something else. They it was Wendigo, but they pronounced it weird. It was like uh, the Wendigo. That's what they called it. Yeah, the Wendigo. So there's in a bunch Supernatural. Of yeah, yeah. Um, nice. In the second episode of the show, I remember that. Uh, I'm pretty sure that version looked more like the emaciated people, if I remember right. Um, but there, there, there's that, there's like the classic interpretation. Then there's kind of the muddled interpretation, which is the mm -hmm. version that grifters like me use with the antlers and stuff. But I'll, we'll let Charlie read about that. Yeah. That's yeah, the, yeah. that's the pet cemetery style design. So yep. that's the modern yep. one where it's animalistic in appearance portrayed with pointy ears or horns emerging from its skull accompanied by elongated limbs ending in razor sharp claws. Its lips are either gnawed to shreds or entirely absent, a consequence of its insatiable hunger driving it to consume even its own flesh. Its eyes sunk deep into its skull amid a haunting red glow, and its presence is often heralded by a putrid stench of decay and death that precedes its arrival. So that's the one where, like, it basically takes the form of whatever was laid to rest, right? Be it, like, whatever animal. So, like, bulls, cows, or bulls, pets, whatever, in the, in the movie yeah so uh pet cemetery like really popularized the whole wendigo idea um or sorry not the wendigo idea the wendigo the wendigo image design, that is now yeah. used a lot the modern design yeah yeah, yeah. uh but yeah, which, yeah i which believe then in follows the movie, through to things like hannibal and stuff like it's it's portrayed yep. that s similar way with the antlers and stuff like that in hannibal among other representations of him in modern culture it's definitely the more prevalent representation now for sure yeah yeah, because, like, the original Wendigo was just, you know, a possessed person that commits these atrocious acts. But then, like, with Pet Cemetery and stuff like that, the idea kind of shifted to, like, it can take on the forms of animals it's killed or any woodland creature because it itself is, like, a spirit of the woods. Spirit of nature, yeah. It, it, that, with that, that's kind of what I mentioned earlier. There's a lot of melding between things like it and the Skinwalker. Because in the original yeah. Legends, the Wendigo is never a shapeshifter. But then it starts to combine with Western legends and people are like, well, maybe it is kind of a shapeshifter sometimes. And that's when like, you know, we get the interpretations of what we do today. I love, I mean, obviously I love the stag imagery. I think it goes hard. Um, yeah, it does. So, I, cool. so I accept it. Yeah. But, uh, but the, uh, the original legends of the Wendigo didn't feature that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was very absent in any of the earlier recounts that I had read. Um, it definitely seems to have been popularized in like the late 1900s more so. Yeah. Uh, but before that, yeah, it was that very sickly kind of human uh, possessed figure that was popularized. So this is a quote from Basil Johnston, which is an Ojibwe. Am I pronouncing that right? Ojibwe, Ojibwe teacher yeah. and scholar in Ontario, Canada. And this kind of describes the original, original um, 
appearance. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Its body was unclean and suffering some from separations of the flesh, giving off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption. And and so we also have this quote described by the Ojibwa. Uh, it was a large creature as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. So that kind of paints the picture of how the Ojibwe and the uh, Ojibwa kind of tell the stories, or at least how they portray the Wendigo. Yeah, sometimes it's like this mighty creature. Sometimes it's more of like a like a, a ratty zombie person type thing. Um, it, it, it like d- d- cannibalism is by far the most, I guess, common and popular way to become one. But in some legends, it's just greed. Like if someone finds themselves like stealing or wanting more, pretty much any act that's like I said earlier, unspeakable, you allow yourself to become host for the Wendigo. Um, in some stories it can be, I believe it can be something as vague as like uh trying to betray someone else in your tribe or something like that pretty much any act of like pure selfish intent opens up your body to be a vessel it's a pretty low bar if it's just like a a simple theft like you steal a loaf of bread and then you become the (laughs) cannibalistic wendigo imagine if that happened in modern day like this is fucking a million wendigos running around you pirate john wick too and end up as a wendigo immediately (laughs) <laughs> you wouldn't download a car <laughs> so, so. <laughs> yeah that would have been way more effective than those like commercials and stuff become yeah, a giant become one of these. monster yeah that'd be pretty cool no. honestly i might i might download a car if that happened if i became a- <laughs> <laughs> all right so before we discuss more about the kind of legend the symbolism and the meaning behind the wendigo uh let's take a quick second to hear from the sponsors of this episode And as we take a brief break to talk about our sponsors, I want to talk about a sponsor that I've come to know and love, and that is the one-stop shop for nutritional supplements, AG1. AG1 is your daily dose of things like pre- and probiotics, immune support supplements, vitamins, and minerals, instead of being a bunch of different pills and doses you have to take every day is instead just one drink. I started taking AG1 because as someone who's chronically online, my diet is often not what it should be. And a lot of the times, I'll take an unhealthy option because it's just so easy to make. But now, AG1's here, and it's easy to make as well. Because all you need is 8 to 12 ounces of cold water and a scoop of AG1, and you are good to go. Not only am I now, with AG1, doing stuff that's better for my body, but it also gives me energy needed to get through the day. You may not even realize it, but your body's craving a lot of different vitamins and minerals that you're probably not getting. And as soon as you start getting those, you'll be amazed how much more energetic you feel. AG1 is the easy to make, high quality product that can help get your body back where it should be. 
Right now, there's never been a better time to get in on this offer, because if you head to the link in the description at drinkag1.com slash redthreadpod, along with your order of AG1, you will receive two free gifts. Those two gifts being five days worth of AG1 and their convenient travel packs, as well as a year's supply of vitamin D3 and K2. Just put a drop of it in your AG1 or your coffee in the morning to get even more of the vitamins you need. So again, to get in on this offer and receive your two free gifts and start taking care of your body the way it deserves, head to the link in the description at drinkag1.com redthreadpod to get in on AG1 today. Thank you all so much for watching the ad. Thank you so much to AG1 for sponsoring the video. It really does mean the most. Hope you all check them out. Link in the description. And now, a word from our other sponsor. If you've ever had trouble saving money, then today's sponsor is here to help. I can't tell you how many times a subscription I thought I had canceled popped back up or something I didn't know I was paying for was being charged to my account. And when you're getting nickel and dimed like that, it's really hard to save money. But today's sponsor, Rocket Money, is here to help. Rocket Money is the personal finance app that helps you lower your bills, cancel your subscriptions, and overall manage your money better. Rocket Money allows you to keep track of, manage, and even cancel your unwanted subscriptions, as well as set customized budgets for yourself to keep track of your spending. If that wasn't enough, Rocket Money keeps track of your investments and portfolio to get an idea of your net worth and even monitors your credit. Rocket Money can even help you lower your bills. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and send it to Rocket Money and they'll negotiate to lower it on your behalf. Rocket Money has helped save its customers an average of $740 a year and cancel a total of over $500 million in unwanted subscriptions. So to save more and spend less, join the over 5 million users already on Rocket Money today. To do this, head to the link in the description at rocketmoney.com redthread to get started on Rocket Money for free. That is right, for free. From there, you can unlock premium to get even more bang for your buck. But if you just want to check out the app, see if it's something for you, head to the link in the description at rocketmoney.com redthread to get started for free today. Thank you all so much for watching the ad. And thank you so much to Rocket Money for sponsoring the show. It really does mean the most. Hope you all check them out. Link is in the description and we are back to the episode. And then back in would you ever resort to cannibalism, Jackson, under any circumstances? Uh, I think once, if you're, like, in the forest and you're in, like, a survival mode for, like, two or three weeks or whatever, you know, like, it's, it's a last resort. Yeah, I think so. That's kind of what I, that's kind of what I'm thinking, too. Like, I think you wouldn't even have a choice at that point. If yeah, you're, what are you going to do? Choose to die when you've got the ability to live right there? Yeah, I don't even think you would be able to choose to die. I feel like your body yeah. would just act off. You'd probably actually be possessed by the Wendigo at that moment, and you would probably just instinctually start eating a human being to survive. Oh, yeah. you're talking I about, mean, like, if you had to eat someone? Like, yeah. yeah. Could you yeah. Do you, Could you see yourself becoming a cannibal? Uh, yeah, if it was like... What was that scenario? Wasn't it in Chile? That, the soccer team? The soccer team, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If it was a scenario like that, I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I, mm, I, I hope I wouldn't be in a place that would yeah, kill someone a, to eat them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. The difference to me is if I'm going to kill someone, I think there's going to oh, be a lot, more, a lot more hesitation yeah. there. From but, what if, could you start nibbling on them before they die? Yeah, could well, you see yourself we, doing that? We could, we could, <laughs> we could like, Just converse a little bite. Like, I'll share Just my thigh and you give me your ass cheek and then we'll like feed ourselves slowly 
to the point where we might be able to survive. I remember uh, reading about, <laughs> this is super dark, but I remember reading about um, the true story that Moby Dick was based on. Uh, I forget what the name of the boat was. But there was a boat that was attacked by a whale began to sink. So the survivors were at sea for like a month um, and just these little dinghies. And they like decided that they were going to have to eat one of the people on the crew. So I think they like casted lots for it. And the person oh, who got it was so miserable that like he was excited to die and happily like, you know, did it. And then they talk about like eating, like parsing out pieces of his thigh but like Jesus. sucking on his bone marrow stuff like that yeah it's Wait, if he was so happy to die why didn't he just like put his hand up initially uh because yeah you know, the, the, like it, this was like seafarer time like 1800s so they were all like christian and saw it as like you know wrong to want to take your life right. when when it's out of his hands now he he's relieved of that um, i feel i feel like that's uh a lie that they they said they they killed that guy he was actually yeah. super happy when we killed him like he said thank you on his way out <laughs> as it, I, I didn't believe in any kind of he was actually so happy you should have seen him like he he'd do it again if given the option i'm sure i think it's i think it's morally okay to do just about anything if it means you are going to survive yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't see anything wrong with like, you know, you're, you're like, sure, it's like unspeakably horrific, but you've got to do unspeakably horrific things to live sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so let's continue on with the legend, the symbolism and the meaning of the Wendigo. The legend of the Wendigo is deeply ingrained in the oral traditions of North American tribes predating the arrival of Europeans. Due to the nature of it being passed down orally through the generations, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly when it originated, but it's certainly been a story that's been circulating within Algonquin tribes for centuries at the very least. Some anthropologists suggest that it emerged as a cautionary method of social conditioning intended to teach community members of the dangers of isolating themselves from society morally. Across many variations of the legend, humans are depicted transforming into Wendigos due to cannibalism, born from desperation and harsh conditions, such as extreme hunger or cold. Additionally, the tale may have served as a warning to children, urging them to not venture too deeply into the wilderness, where the Wendigo is set to lurk. So it's, it's kind of hard to tell exactly when this started and like what the actual origin of the myth was, because like, like we said, it's like been passed down orally throughout like centuries, basically. So it's really difficult to pinpoint the direct origin of it. But yeah, it's always been about that kind of cautionary tale of like, stay within the community, uh, stay within the moral fabric of the community, don't stray too far, don't be a drain on the society, otherwise you will become a Wendigo and you'll be ostracized and no one will like you. No one likes Wendigos. Uh, and also children don't go outside Nerd. because there might be wendigos outside it's, it's no different than growing up and your parents are like you have to finish your vegetables or the boogeyman's coming or whatever it's the same kind of thing just putting yeah, some kind of fear yeah. in there to conform like don't you know do this don't do that kind of thing yeah it's it's it, it's very effective or at least it definitely was back then i can imagine especially with more spiritually aligned people or communities um yeah i can imagine it was a very effective way of socially conditioning your society or your you know community or whatever 
so it's it's no surprise that this was passed down through multiple tribes and and extended across the country uh across these tribes all the people that spoke the algonquin language i think um it's interesting how like nearly every culture in the world has some story to that effect right like some legend to kind of like keep keep the curtails of people tucked in um and it's interesting to see how different like groups of people around the world adapt them some is myth some it's you know like religion stuff like that um i know it's fascinating anyway they always tell the same kind of uh they, they always teach the same kind of lessons though it's like we have this innate need to talk against uh, greed and stuff like that because it's not something you want in your community. Obviously, you want to be out, yeah. be out to curtail that immediately. So yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's cool to see the different interpretations of how to kind of enforce that belief upon people. Yeah, absolutely. So various indig- indigenous tribes regard the Wendigo as extremely dangerous, owing to the insatiable thirst for blood and their ability to corrupt other healthy individuals or entire communities. For some, the Wendigo serves as a symbol of the importance of community and the perils that arise when individuals stray from the group or show otherwise antisocial behavior. The harsh realities of life in the northern boreal forests, marked by severe hunger, bitter cold, and isolating conditions, were constant threats faced by indigenous people, obviously. I mean, <laughs> very difficult environment to survive in. Numerous Wendigo narratives commence with an individual or a small group isolated and cold in the forest, separated from the community, uh, and then obviously bad things happen and a Wendigo takes over uh, a, an individual in that group and eventually uh, cannibalizes the entire group to survive. Survival within indig- indigenous cultures at the time relied heavily on communal co- cooperation and the equitable distribution of resources and sustenance, and those who deviated from this, particularly during times of f- severe scarcity, were labelled as monsters due to their perceived greed and self-centeredness. So, yeah, if you were either a Wendigo or a monster, it didn't matter. People didn't like you. People didn't <laughs> well, like what you the, took from the community. The impact that one greedy person could have on this entire community is m- much, much greater than it would be today. So it's one of those yeah. things where you've got to put the kibosh on it ASAP. It's life and death in that situation. Yeah. Like That could kill the entire community when you're su- in survival mode constantly. Uh, most tales imply that you turn into a Wendigo as punishment if you partake in a t- taboo activity, such as cannibalism, obviously. But other stories paint the Wendigo itself as being a more direct avenue of the transformation as they tell experiences of people becoming a Wendigo just by crossing paths with a different Wendigo. Isn't that how it happens in Until, Until Dawn? Dawn? Yeah. yeah, so in Until Dawn, you become, you can, I think, become the Wendigo if you fuck up and the Wendigo gets you. Mm. Yeah, it's just like if you get bitten by it, it's, it transmits the Wendigo. Yeah. I mean, spoilers for the game, but it's been out a while. Get over it. Because I know Hannah, the girl from the beginning, she becomes one, but she eats her sister, right? That's why she becomes one. Mm, yeah. Did she eat her sister? Because they Maybe. find where she it's had fallen so down the cliff, and then they find where she dug up her sister's grave, implying she was so oh, hungry down there that she had to... Um, I can't remember if anyone else does or not, but yeah, yeah, like, again, until until Dawn, accurate depiction <laughs> of Wendigos, unlike a lot it's, of other It stuff. really is a great it game, is. too. Like, it, yeah, is a, it, it is a good game, and it does justice to the Wendigo. Like, I didn't really know anything about it at all till playing that game. Yeah. yeah. And then the Wendigo hunter, the Wendigo hunter shows up, who's like, I've been doing this 20 years, and then he dies in 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, he never said he was very good at it. <laughs> 
just that he's been doing it for a fair. long time. That's fair. <laughs> this was his first Wendigo, actually. He's just been waiting <laughs> 20 years for it. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of like a pro- process similar to like uh, vampires, werewolves, that kind of transmission mm-hmm. sometimes. And again, there's just so many different interpretations of the myth itself that you'll find different threads depending on different geographical retellings of the story different, different red threads communities you interpreta- mean nice so many oh, different threads there you go yeah, trade perfect mark. a shaman may be the only person who's able to destroy a wendigo using either steel silver or uh an iron bullet or a dagger so again very similar to like vampires and werewolves like mm-hmm. it's, what what is the uh what is the reasoning behind silver killing everything bad it's pure um yeah so the idea is that like in vampire mythology at least vampires are demonic uh meaning they're unclean they're of the devil so Mm -hmm. anything that is pure and holy they have a resistance towards so silver um that's also why they can't see themselves in mirrors because old mirrors were made out of silver um Ah, so that's that's why they can't be seen in it because silver's pure and a vampire is not is that why the sun hurts them because it's pure yes. as well it's yeah, light yeah. radiance i, th- I think the idea it used to just be they were nocturnal they hid at night so they wouldn't be seen i don't know when the detail that the sun physically hurts them got added to the mythos um mm. that'd be interesting to look into but yeah the original the original idea was they were like demonic okay i don't think there's anything about the wendigo being nocturnal i've definitely seen interpretations yeah, yeah. of the wendigo during the day and stuff like that so the, yeah the interesting it. one there is steel that being one of its weaknesses is steel is like so everything. broad yeah it's like yeah. so many things you could you could hit it with your car you could get a katana out like it's very vulnerable actually well even a dagger that's like like at that time everyone's probably got a dagger right yeah and anything can kind of be considered a dagger if it's small and pointy wendigo shows up and you just stab him like you just shank him and he dies immediately from a dagger yeah you got your prison shank out of a bar of soap and it just instantly vaporizes it some old like shaman just runs it over in a kia soul (laughs) (laughs) that's what i love about these uh these kind of mythological or uh cryptids or figures like vampires and werewolves and like it sounds so cool on 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 the page or whatever it's like oh this like really mythical creature who's who's really strong has supernatural strength and everything and then at the bottom it's like a hundred ways to kill it and well, everything well, is weak well, to, and to, it's like to weak give, to everything to give like some garlic. credit to the ojibwe and stuff like that steel wasn't super common right like that was that was few and far between most of the stuff they had was wood made right um true so, yeah. like, uh, steel would have been a hard come by. So it probably was like a special, you know, rare relic, the way silver would be in like right. you know, European culture. Yeah, and maybe that's why we don't see any more Wendigos anymore, is because steel. Because <laughs> so we've all got steel. Yeah. yeah. The Industrial Revolution yeah. killed all yeah. of them. <laughs> <laughs> no one talks about it. Where, where's the conservation effort for the Wendigos? Ah, uh, yes. Ted Kaczynski, the original uh, voice for the Wendigos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some stories claim that a Wendigo's heart must be cut out and melted or burned in a fire before the spirit is truly destroyed. So that's one way of that's, killing uh, it. That's like the most common way of killing it in classic narratives because the idea is the spirit is cold and like, you know, a part, it's like a, a spirit of like the, the winter, so to speak. Like it's associated with cold a lot and things like the starving, freezing to death. So fire is its counter is its natural weakness. So you have to burn the heart in a lot of stories. Right. 
Right, that makes sense. A lot of uh, a lot of stories I'm I'm realizing throughout both modern and like ancient history. A lot of these mythological stories are around cold. Like cold is hum- humanity's greatest enemy. It sounds like, and yep. I, I I can definitely see why. But you see it in a lot of like fiction Pre- currently as well. I mean, think about like pre-shelter, right? Like we mm-hmm. take for granted insulation now. Can you imagine? Like every night you're like, oh, it's 20 degrees out. Imagine sleeping in that, right? Like how much of a threat that had to be day to day. So you'll see stuff like, you'll see starvation being a common issue. You'll see freezing being a common issue in classic narratives. Uh, Disease, like stuff that every day people had to constantly think about that now kind of like glosses over our heads. Yeah. Cold is definitely like the worst condition to uh, survive in. Absolutely. Like it saps your energy so much being cold. Like you've got no kind of energy to. Work I've said with. that for a long time. I think cold is the most brutal condition that you can experience for sure. Okay, so yeah, to survive in, like to contend with, yeah. But I still prefer being cold than being hot personally, because I find it way easier in modern civilization to get hot when. Oh, you're well, cold. The, okay, Jesus Christ! Well, yeah, in modern civilization, <laughs> of course, yeah. 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 That's the only Jackson's that's like the only counterpoint Char- been a part of. Jackson's like counterpoint Charlie. I am in a nice house right now. <laughs> yeah, that. Counterpoint. I turn my heat on. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, back, back even in like the early 1900s and stuff like yeah, being cold would suck. Counterpoint Charlie, I'm in Australia. <laughs> so <laughs> we don't have cold. Cold is like a 20 degree day or whatever that is in Fahrenheit. Uh, the Wendigo can also be described as more of a spirit, which we've kind of talked about already, which possesses a human by biting them or through a dream as well. Apparently, there are some stories where you can contract Wendigo through a dream. The possession mm. can be cannibalistic, violent, and de- and deranged. And greedy, gluttonous people who are wait, and greedy, gluttonous people are more susceptible to being possessed by the Wendigo spirit. Obviously, yeah. Uh, so let's move on to the first tales. I've got this. Legend has it that the earliest Wendigo tale revolves around a lost hunter and were orally shared within First Nation communities. The stories would tell of a lost hunter venturing out to find food for his family where he would become disoriented in the harsh winter wilderness. Driven by insatiable hunger, he resorted to cannibalism upon entering another man... (laughs) (laughs) I was so confused on that. I was like, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> that's a different Wendigo story. Have you, a, have, have you ever been so hungry? <laughs> you entered another man. Oh, that's a different kind of hunger you're talking about. Yeah, that's a, that's a totally different kind of hunger. You're oh, right. Charlie ran right over that one, just taking yeah, off. Yeah. Oh, that's well, great. I had, I had to take a pause there, like immediately upon reading that. I was like, wow, this is a crazy story, Jackson. <laughs> I didn't make it up. Yeah, I didn't know the Wendigo were so cool. <laughs> you said so the, way it's pra- the way it's phrased too is like it's in the Old Testament. Like, no, this, yeah. this is very important detail. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's the best red thread moment so far. <laughs> he resorted to cannibalism upon encountering another man in the woods. <laughs> Wait, well, it's still not ruling out the entering, to be it's fair. Not, That's yeah. yet. We, it's not we mutually know, exclusive. We, we don't know how cold this guy was, okay? Maybe. <laughs> There's only one way to get warm. <laughs> the harsh winter has you going all types of different directions here to get warm again. 
Oh, you're cold? <laughs> well, in my culture, there's only one way to warm someone <laughs> up. <laughs> oh, alright, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Attacking and consuming the flesh, he transformed into a crazed half-human, half-beast creature. From then on, he lost connection to his human consciousness and roamed the forest, driven by an unrelenting urge to prey upon unsuspecting humans. And that's the way that most of the original stories kind of trend or go. Patient zero, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then continue on with this next one. This one's pretty interesting. One of the most famous stories involving the Wendigo involves Swift Runner, a Cree hunter and trapper who resided in what is now central Alberta during the 1870s. While details about Swift Runner's early life are sparse, it's believed that he was highly regarded within the Cree community and worked as a trapper and guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. Swift Runner was married, fathered six children, but unfortunately he descended into the depths of alcoholism over time. His excessive drinking frequently led to conflicts and disturbances within his community, eventually resulting in his family being exiled from the tribe. During the harsh winter of 1878, Swift Runner and his family ventured into the forest searching for signs of any kind of hospitable community. Upon stumbling upon another settlement, Swift Runner pleaded for assistance, recounting how he and his family had been banished and perished from starvation during their journey. However, the inhabitants of this town grew skeptical. Swift Runner appeared healthy, so why had his family succumbed to starvation while he remained unscathed? Suspicion mounting, the figures of authority in the community endeavored to investigate further. Upon or under pressure, Swift Runner confessed that his family had actually been living in a campsite or cabin deep in the woods, but there wasn't enough food for everyone to survive. The authorities demanded Swift Runner lead them to the campsite, and upon arrival, they were confronted with a scene of unspeakable horror. Bones were scattered everywhere, broken in half and hollowed out, as if the marrow had been sucked out of the bone. Among the grisly remnants, a pot brimming with human fat was discovered, confirming that Swift Runner had consumed his own family. Frantically, Swift Runner attempted to justify his actions, claiming to have been possessed by an evil spirit that drove him to commit the acts. However, his explanations fell on deaf ears. Swift Runner was brought to trial in 1879, and a mere 20 minutes of deliberation, <laughs> he was sentenced to death. On December 20, 1879, he met his fate at the gallows, becoming the first individual legally hanged in Fort Saskatchewan. Wow. That's crazy. That's that crazy. Is, so here's his confession as well. At the moment, the devil Wittico, which is one of the Wendigo titles, suddenly took possession of my soul, and in order to live longer far from people, wait, and in order to live longer far from people and to put out the way the only witness to my crime, I seized my gun and killed the last of my children and ate him as I had done the others. Some weeks later, I was taken by the police, sentenced to death, and in three days, I am to be hanged. That was his confession in 1879. Yeah, so he used the he was still sticking with the Wendigo kind of um explanation for why he did what he did. And it's uh, it's kind of important to note that like the Wendigo myth was obviously very very uh, prevalent in these communities at this time and leading up to that time. So he he knew that it was a excuse to use. Uh, that doesn't mean that it was actually true <laughs> or anything like that. But it's this just... is this is a real person. This one's not just a legend. This is a real yeah, case yeah. that happened. Yeah. This is an actual uh, family murder and then act of cannibalism. Uh, he's just using the Wendigo as a scapegoat. Uh, yeah, it was a very, very interesting case. 
And then while the Wendigo legend existed in oral history for many centuries, the earliest European written record of the Wendigo comes from Paul Lejeune, a Jesuit missionary who resided among the Algonquin people in the early 17th century in what is now known as Quebec. In his writings, Lejeune recounts a woman's warning about an action, a term used to describe the Wendigo, that had preyed upon nearby tribal members. She cautioned that the creature would continue its voracious consumption of their people if it were not drawn away elsewhere. The devilish woman, so this is a quote, a report by Paul Lejeune written to his superiors in Paris, 1636. So this is 200 years before what happened with uh, Swift Runner in 1879. So this is how early this story extends. Even the Europeans were talking about it uh, through reports in the 1600s. This devilish woman added that the Wendigo had eaten some Atikamegukan. These are the tribes that live north of the river that is called Three Rivers, and that he would eat a great many more of them if he were not called elsewhere. But that action, sort of a werewolf, so he he kind of related it to a werewolf, would come in his place to devour them, even up to the French fort, that he would slaughter the French themselves. <laughs> so <laughs> even Paul Lejeune is like worried about the French. He's like, we got to get our people out of here. <laughs> we got to make sure. Hey, this lady who says that this person's killed like a hundred natives, they might hurt some French guys. <laughs> we should. <laughs> yeah. Now we got to take something. this shit seriously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they, they were even talking about like the Europeans were talking about in the uh, early 1600s. So this is how, uh, how early this, these myths were kind of being passed I, around orally. I, I have some opinions regarding the, like, the story of Swift Runner and Paula sure. June's account and stuff like that, but I'll save them until we get into Wendigo Psychosis. Um, oh, okay, yeah. Because I think everything goes hand in hand. I think that, yeah. it's not like one of these things was the inception for the other. I think there's a reason they're all tied into each other. Another notable tale features Jack Fiddler. A respected OG Cree chief and medicine man renowned for his prowess in combating Wendigos. Fiddler <laughs> claimed to have vanquished 14 of these malevolent beings throughout his lifetime. Some were believed to have been sent by rival shamans, while others <laughs> were once members of his own band who had succumbed to an insatiable craving for human flesh. In many instances, it was the afflicted individual's own family members who beseeched Fiddler to end their suffering before they transformed into Wendigos. Tragically, even Fiddler's own brother, Peter Flett, met such a fate after their trading expedition ran out of food. In 1907, Fiddler and his brother Joseph were apprehended for the murder of Joseph's daughter-in-law, whom they had strangled in a desperate attempt to prevent her from falling under the grip of a wendigo. Faced with incarceration, Fiddler took his own life, while Joseph was sentenced to life in prison. Though eventually granted a pardon, Joseph tragically passed away just three days before receiving the news. The majority yeah. of that tragic, yeah. though, they just killed their daughter-in-law thinking that she was about to become a Wendigo. Yeah, well, tragic for him. He was about well, to be yeah, I guess, it, I guess it does suck for Joseph, to be fair. <laughs> I'm sure he thought it was bad, Charlie. Yeah, yeah you're, 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 I, I forgot to put myself in the, in the shoes of the murderer. <laughs> that was so silly of me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah the, but I, this is the red thread we open with the jeffrey epstein intro yeah you should know the drill yeah <laughs> the majority do you have of, anything, do you oh, have wait, anything else to say about jack fiddler though it sounded like you were uh I, I don't know like i think again i'll wait i'll wait till the ending to kind of give my overarching thoughts about all that but 
I think that some truth led to a lot of paranoia that eventually ended up with his daughter-in-law being killed, right? Um, but because, like, when you when all you're trained to look for is monsters, you're going to see them everywhere, right? Um, and I think that's what led to a lot of instances like that. I, I guess we'll get into it when we talk about Wendigo psychosis. Yeah. I am yeah, curious, so. though. He claimed to have vanquished 14 Wendigo. Does that mean he just killed 14 people, or is he just <laughs> completely making that shit up, you think? Considering, considering that he was, like, quote-unquote renowned by local tribes for his work, he probably did kill 14 people. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I don't think I don't, I don't think he like his claims are probably just like I went out into the forest saw a Wendigo and killed it. No, I'm I'm not saying that he killed fourteen Wendigos. I'm saying he murdered fourteen people, <laughs> and the other tribes were like, "Wow, I guess that guy was a Wendigo." <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. I bet he actually just did execute fourteen people, and he's like, "But they were a Wendigo," and they're like, "Oh my god, he just he saved us. He did us, he did yeah. us a good favor." I feel like they would have like someone would have been upset about that earlier. <laughs> I feel like I, it really is. I I feel like it really is just he, like he went out into the forest and and he came back and he's like, you yeah, I had an experience it. with a Wendigo out there. Don't worry, guys, killed it. Yeah, I mean that's possible too. That's super but he did It's least... not like they're gonna go out there and verify it, and like, it could just be a bunch of baloney. Yeah, plus he's a respected uh, chief. Like he, he did it, at least kill his <clears throat> brother and daughter-in-law, though, right? Like, yeah, that's that's seven yeah. stones. So that's at least two on his body count. Yeah, so I guess it's not impossible to believe that he killed others, but yeah, um, yeah, I feel like there was a bit of bluffing there, maybe. To to wrap up this last section about it, the majority of reported sightings and experiences happened between the 1880s and 1920s. However, Wendigo sightings are still reported in certain locations like Kenora and Northern Ontario near the Cave of the Wendigo to this day, and many people still believe the Wendigo roams through northern Minnesota and Canada. Kenora, in particular, is believed to be the Wendigo capital of the world. Yeah, I couldn't find any details on why it's the Wendigo capital of the world. It <clears> just <throat> seems like people, like people, it's, really it's where that. like all the sightings happened and a lot of the yeah. the legends originate in that area, stuff like that. Yeah, but I haven't like ever, I haven't seen any like substantial sighting reports or anything, you know, anything crazy. An- another thing, <clears throat> since we're kind of wrapping up like the legendary stuff about it, the Wendigo was such an evil spirit that <clears throat> to the people who believed, like, you know, the the legends and beliefs of, like, the Algonquin-speaking tribes and stuff like that, it was considered taboo to say its name because you're asking for it. Kind of... Well, oh, was, Bloody Mary. I was I was about to say Voldemort. Bloody Mary's a much better, less pop-culturally one <laughs> to mention. <laughs> Wait, does, Vol- does Voldemort show up if you say Voldemort? I thought it was just, like, kind of... No, like it's just you can't say his name. It's, say. it's he who yeah. must not be named. Yeah, in... in like the original stories, I don't think the Wendigo immediately shows up. You're just kind of asking for it. Like you're, you're bringing, it's like you're bringing bad energy onto right. the tribe, onto yourself. If you mention it, so you weren't supposed to talk about it. Um, yeah, okay. So but, if, wait, if, how does that, if, how does that track? How does that track? If like, it's an oral, oral story, like they're going to be talking about it all the time. Well, well, you could say it in like legend sense or stuff like that. You're just, you're just supposed to respect it effectively. Kind of like right. every religion, you're supposed to respect the names of not only the good guys, so to speak, but the bad guys, right? Like in Christianity, for example, you respect the name Jesus, you're allowed to say Jesus, mm-hmm. but you don't use it defamatory, right? right? You're also supposed to not go around willy-nilly saying stuff like, 
like I'm about to do right now, saying uh, stuff like Baphomet or Moloch or like demons of the Bible. Like there's supposed to be a reverence appreciated for it. So yeah, you it's an oral story. You can say the word Wendigo. You're just not supposed to do it flippantly, like it. so to speak. Yeah. yeah, within the beliefs of that tribe. So basically, what I'm saying is, if I ever go to uh, to Southern Canada, considering I've used it for my branding and merchandise, I'm gonna die instantly. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you're gonna get jumped the second you get off I'm, the airplane. They're they're gonna drag me across the runway. <laughs> I am decimated. Yeah, that's a scary place to go. Is Wendigoon? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've so like if anyone if anyone has been asking for it, I have been asking for it. So yeah. <laughs> well, then we should we should definitely like test that. Into we're scientists here at Red Thread headquarters. Let's put you on a plane up there and see how quickly you get possessed <laughs> by the wind again. <laughs> we're gonna time how long it takes me to die or transform into a monster thing. Yeah, well, that's cool. We could prove we could prove that it's real. That'd if this huge. video or gets fake, fifty thousand yeah. likes, I will die in southern Canada. <laughs> 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 first subscriber milestone For, yeah <laughs> if we if if this channel gets one million subs i will cast myself into the cave <laughs> yeah. oh, no if we get one million subs let's all go up to northern canada and try to survive a week in the blistering cold and see which one of us falls victim to the wendigo see first. which one of us oh. eats the other <laughs> yeah. one yeah yeah that's, that's yeah. what we'll fall victim to is the wendigo first <laughs> yeah that that or as charlie mentioned the entering yeah, like, so we'll just Charlie enters one of us. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't what I signed up for. Oh man, yeah, someone you just gave someone out there the worst <laughs> smut idea ever. Can you can you imagine we hit the subscriber milestone? Everyone's hype, like, oh, they're actually going to go out there to the window and we just start <laughs> just fucking up there. <laughs> they just sponsor an orgy. <laughs> took Charlie like twelve hours while we're up there. He's already naked. Off the plane, and he's like undoing his shirt. Oh, not yet. Yeah. Wait till the woods. Okay. Uh, wait, this, this isn't the Wendigo cave. Oh, shit, forget about forget about the forest. Let's just go back to the hotel. Guys. Charlie, this is the subway. You've got to quit doing that. Uh, that's gonna be great. I'm really excited to hit uh, one million subs. Yeah. Now. So that that whole conversation we just had, we're all getting possessed immediately. Yeah. 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 yeah that was a lot. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> relating the wendigo to gay sex throughout the entire episode is certain to yeah as if as if the gooning thing wasn't bad enough <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah perfect great Love all it. right <laughs> let's move on to wendigo psychosis and try to forget about what just transpired please so wendigo psychosis is a condition believed to afflict individuals residing in wendigo hotspots particularly by the time period before the first nation tribes encountered the europeans it remains a topic of contention within medical circles characterized by symptoms such as paranoia anxiety hallucinations and cannibalistic urges this condition is thought to arise from a combination of cultural narratives and psychological susceptibility so this is an actual condition that was kind of uh it, it, it's, it's still kind of discussed, at least. Historical records indicate that instances of Wendigo psychosis and associated cannibalistic behavior were more prevalent during periods of severe famine among 
Algonquin tribes, though occurrences can also occur independently of uh, such conditions. Within the medical community, there exists debate regarding the veracity of Wendigo psychosis. While some consider it a genuine psychological disorder, others who have more of a spiritual belief say that it may represent the early stages of the transformation into a Wendigo. So there's some people that believe that it's an actual medical condition brought on by these stories, like a psychosis formed from believing the stories and then obviously you have the uh, more purists that that believe that it's just like someone being transformed by the wendigo and this is a quote from the wendigo psychosis as described by apa dictionary of psychology so this is an actual entry in the dictionary of psychology i don't think it can get much more official than that a severe this is the quote, a severe culture-bound syndrome occurring among northern Algonquin Indians living in Canada and the northeastern United States. The syndrome is characterized by delusions of becoming possessed by a flesh-eating monster, the Wendigo, and is manifested in symptoms including depression, violence, a compulsive desire for human flesh, and sometimes actual cannibalism. So I think what this looks like is like the people trick themselves into believing the Wendigo so much that they kind of manifest the symptoms. Yeah, it's like mass hysteria. It's basically the exact same thing where you keep getting fed something and then eventually you start to think that it's affecting you. So there's kind of like a a self-fulfilling prophecy here almost where the story exists and then through the act of people believing the story so much, especially during these early, you know, 1800s, a period of time where survival was essential and very difficult, um, they believe these stories so much that it actually affects them psychologically. And then it actually comes true because they get those compulsive urges to like cannibalize and stuff like that. So in that, in that capacity, the, the Wendigo is true. It's correct. Like it, it exists because these people believe that they are the Wendigo and they have all the, the same, <clears throat> um, you, you know, effects as the Wendigo. So what's the difference really at the end uh, of the yeah. day? It's not too dissimilar, like, in the case with Swift Runner, th- there was that famous American case where the guy said the devil made him do it, he was possessed by the devil, and he did that. It's the same type of thing, right, where you're attributing it to something that you've believed for a long time, and, you know, I whether or not the Wendigo took over, it doesn't really matter. It's just one of those things where you've been taught this for so long, and now you're experiencing it, and it's real to you. I think um, the part I want to bring up here, kind of, I said I'd wait till we talk about Wendigo psychosis to mention it, is there was, this this has happened across the world, uh, but with, like, European colonization, there was more documentation of it, maybe, than in other parts of the world. During, like, the, the 16, 1700s, <clears throat> there were, like, rogue groups of people in the Americas who regularly committed acts of cannibalism right and again that happened everywhere across the world that happened in europe it happened in asia africa you know it's just when people run out of food and they don't have a moral instance that it's evil or whatever then other groups of people can make for a food source right so imagine being one of these people in like uh the the american northeast and you're constantly in fear of the cold, you're constantly in fear of starvation, and then in the midst of that, out in the tree line, there's a group of people, or at least things that look like people, that want to eat you, right? Like, how terrifying must that have been in the face of everything else? So, 
you begin to tell your kids stories. Don't go out into the woods. There's monsters out there. Don't go out and like ne never give in to the same evils they've given into because you'll become one of those monsters. So to me, and we see instances of that like happening in relatively modern times with things like Swift Runner, right? Uh, like we know that there was a fear of a real threat, a real danger happening. So to me, it's not so much that the Wendigo was made up as much as it was maybe embellished off of actual horrors that these people had to face, you know, things that go bump in the night. Um, and maybe some aspects of it were, you know, exaggerated, so to speak, to maintain across cultures, to maintain as a legend. But as with a lot of other stories we tell, I think it came from somewhere. Um, I think Swift Runner's an example of that. And I think maybe the idea became so prevalent that people like, um, uh, do, 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 hold up his name right here, the Wendigo Hunter guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Fiddler. Name? Yes, Fiddler, yeah, Jack yeah. Jack Fiddler. Yeah, Jack Fiddler. That, you have people like Fiddler who are so given to this idea that they begin to see the monster everywhere. And that's kind of a corruption of it. But I do think for a time that the Wendigo myth needed to exist because there were monsters out there. Uh, that did look like people, right? So, I, d I don't know. I, I see, the, the, one of the reasons the Wendigo interests me so much is because you hear the story initially and you're like, okay, it's a, it's kind of a scary story of something that goes bump in the night. But then you learn legends, you learn cultures at the time, things that they really had to deal with. And you're like, that, that was just, it's almost like it was their artwork of things that happened or a painting almost of things that were happening. Um, it's like it an echo of their culture and their, their civilization at the time. It really is. It's like a yeah. representation of that more so than any other like uh, myth, whatever you want to call them, like vampires and werewolves aren't nearly as interesting to me as the Wendigo because the Wendigo feels like an actual representation of the difficulties that people experienced at the time and how they kind of contextualized everything within their stories and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, I, I find it very interesting because it comes from a place of reality yeah and think about some of the details around its characteristics too it appears as the dead like it's effectively a dead body right and death is something like we take it for granted now but you have to stay away from dead things they're full of disease and rot so these creatures they look like the dead they smell like the dead they're as cold as the winter nights the things that humanity has been trying so hard to stay away from for millennia like it's all the characteristics of the things people should be afraid of captured in the form of a person that wants to eat you another thing that they were actively afraid of i don't see the wendigo as fiction as much as i do a portrayal of the real threats these people had to face yeah yeah 100% yeah that's why i think that's what i th that's what I think makes it so interesting yeah. and why I think it's kind of uh, still pretty fondly looked at even to this day and why we see it in pop culture and why we see it have an impact on, on uh, like television shows and movies and video games and stuff like that uh, because it's a very effective, it's a very effective story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a good segue to talk about pop culture and impact. The Wendigo has been adapted in many variations in pop culture throughout the years, first featuring in The Wendigo, a novel by English author Algernon Blackwood, very cool name. It has also been featured in stories such as Pet Cemetery by Stephen King, Hannibal, video games like Until Dawn, and many other movies, TV shows, and stories, including Ravenous. This was a movie that I saw a few uh, years back at a bad movie night. Which it's a great movie. I put it. Uh, I, I wanted to include it here. It stars Guy Pearce, 
and it's from 1999 and it it's a story that loosely kind of shares similarities with uh, the swift runner story kind of in that a character becomes a cannibal after being lost in the snowy mountains and then he comes back to a fort and the people have to kind of piece it together and, and deal with it and it's unintentionally a very funny movie but also <laughs> like it's it's a very cool story. I highly recommend watching Ravenous. So, so wait, it, you watched it on a bad movie night. What what put it on your radar? Uh, I didn't choose it. Someone someone at the bad movie night chose it. But yeah, I was I was there for the ride. It was good. <laughs> it was good. It, it, it wasn't like egregiously bad or anything. It was an entertaining movie. I definitely highly recommend watching it. So this is a this is a quote from Brady DeSanti in his paper Classroom Cannibal about how. Um, how the Wendigo kind of is portrayed. Despite the intentions of horror movie purveyors to use more diverse horror antagonists like the Wendigo, the entity continues to be mostly portrayed as just another supernatural threat. This lack of development is unfortunate because major distinctions abound between the Wendigo and other fiendish big screen representations. This element also presents another opportunity to impart an important idea to the students who may have never contemplated that a more sophisticated interpretation of monsters was possible outside of the mayhem they witness on screen. So he's basically mm. talking That's he's basically quote. talking like about that. what we were talking about a second ago in that it doesn't feel like the Wendigo in po- in modern culture or pop culture is being explored to the extent that it could and should with the cultural significance that it has, like those cultural stories that it has. Whereas now when it shows up in something, it's it's almost like a werewolf or a vampire or something like that. It doesn't have that same kind of depth that it should anymore, which is sad because yeah. we look back at these original stories and they're like we previously said, this full of such cultural significance mm-hmm. and cultural development that I, that is really interesting. It's been a while since I played Until Dawn, but I really do recall there being a lot of like lore woven deep into the Wendigo mythos in that game. Am I am I wrong in that? Uh, it's really... been a, I haven't played it in a while as well, but I I doubt he's talking about that. Well, yeah, I I doubt he's calling out Until Dawn. I just mean in, like there have been a couple more recently, like Until Dawn. That have yeah, done more absolutely. with them. I think personally, yeah. what I kind of said about like, I feel like the Wendigo is the amalgamation of a lot of real threats people had to face kind of put into one thing. Um, I think that for that reason, the creature is more effective symbolically than it yeah. is. as just like a, a boogeyman I, to yeah. fight, right? Because yeah, like monster. in series like Hannibal, right? The whole idea is he consumes human flesh once and he begins to see the Wendigo everywhere he looks. It's in his dreams. It's getting closer to him. I think kind of using it, uh, like in, in the original stories, it's what happened to people who were too greed. Kind of using it as a representation of greed, I think is much more effective. Um, and it's also, honestly, one of the reasons, the Wendigo is my favorite cryptid. And obviously, I mean, look at the name of my channel, right? Um, but one of the reasons it is, is because for one, the stuff I mentioned earlier it was introduced to me by my grandfather as a scary story. And then I grow up and learn that it's kind of the end result of a lot of real threats people had to face, but then take it into modern culture. It changes its form. Stephen King kind of says that it takes on characteristics of animals, but then that accidentally leans it back into stag imagery from like ancient European stories and mythos and stuff like that. So now we have the visual of the stag of, of the young man sort of stepping into his role in the world and then the temptations of the world around him. And then you have like 
this this desecrated form of it like a symbol of like how far humanity can fall and then that symbol gets still reused in modern stories and things like that and it's all these different endpoints of cultures across the world that have never talked to each other made into one tale and kind of like what you mentioned earlier Jackson we're telling the same stories over and over we're just doing them in different ways and i think it's so interesting how the wendigo is kind of a final stage of that it's always fascinated me from a storytelling perspective yeah, absolutely. It's like the amalgamation of stories told by a hundred different communities all converging into one core idea yeah, that yeah. people dance around with. It's very interesting, very fascinating. I love it for that. It's very culturally significant. And mm. I definitely think it's up there in terms of cryptids. Uh, yeah, let's let's wrap there. I think we've talked about um, everything Wait, we need we, to talk We have about. to do we, do, we do it with every cryptid episode. Where does this go on your cryptid tier list? I don't know if it beats Goatman, I'm going to be honest with you boys. Goatman, really? I think Goatman's more culturally significant. That's <laughs> I, just me. Yeah, it's just I, me, though. Go- Goatman's the amalgamation of everything humans have feared for <laughs> millennia now. Yeah, goats and men. Goats <laughs> and men. Goats and men. Now, to Charlie's credit, I did talk about in the Goatman episode how that shares a lot of religious symbolism, right? The things that created Goatman. So, you know, that's it. Now, here's the question, though, Charlie. Is it on A tier with Goatman, but behind him, or is it down in B tier? Well, it's it's good. I can I can put it up there with him. I'd say they can hold hands together. Goatman <laughs> and the Wendigo formed an alliance on my tier list. I think oh, they're both that's, very cool. That's, that's a cool. scary and, alliance. And you have Mothman at S tier, though, right? So he's above all. <laughs> well, Mothman's powering an entire community. Like right, I mean, Wendigo is just hurting people. <laughs> Hey, w- watch your mouth. It's powering my bank account. All right, you want to? That's true. It's helping at least one person. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and I'm like a whole town. If you think about it, I got three million subs. What is that? A small country? I thought so. Yeah. That, that is that is more than the than Mothman's keeping a, keeping afloat. To be fair. Yeah. What's that Moth guy ever S-tier. done for me? That's what I thought. <laughs> I'd put it at S tier. I think. Well, Mothman could return at any point, though. We we never really That's know true. his intentions. That's true. Yeah. So so, Char- Charlie's being the harsh critic here because he's got an yeah. S and two A's. All of the ones we've covered so far. Well, actually, no. I put Goatman at A tier, but Mothman and the Wendigo easy S tiers for me. Absolutely. Yeah, for me, I would put Mothman. Uh, fuck. Let me think. All right, Goatman and Mothman at A, and I de- I personally think wendigo goes in s tier let's go yeah another convert let's go you can't stick to your convictions that's very peculiar i suppose what (laughs) when did i what did i change was that not didn't you i I thought for sure you had mothman at s i may have if i have then i'll stick with my conviction and put him back up in s tier i don't know what we need is like an actual dog shit cryptid next one we can all agree is just fucking (laughs) pathetic like an f tier yeah like like the lovely frogman or something we like kind of screwed, hands. Yeah, do you think yeah. we kind of screwed ourselves by doing all the cool ones first like the really cool ones first i'm i'm doing a no. series on the channel right now that's literally 350 cryptids i assure you there's more cool ones oh sweet. yeah there's Thank plenty God. of like even florida has some dog shit ones we have like the stupid skunk ape down here hey watch your oh. mouth <laughs> we love him i'm <laughs> oh, sorry yes yeah, some, skunk, some skunk ape fans out there <laughs> I, still. I, d- I did go to the skunk ape museum it was fun in the Everglades, that was a good time. Nice. They, they had a big alligator there. That was, I don't know why, but they did. <laughs> that's Florida. They have the yeah, that's true. Do it's you, Florida <laughs> do you, uh, do you guys have any last minute 
thoughts about the Wendigo that you want to share? Anything additional that you want to add to this episode? Uh, Nothing on my end. I'm looking forward to the Until Dawn remake, I suppose, so they could ruin it perhaps. <laughs> yep. Uh, Charlie, because he put it at A tier, is going to die first when we go to Canada. <laughs> that's no, that's say. not true. The Wendigo is not works. listening to this. I put it at S tier. So he'll die. That- he'll die happy after our orgy, anyway. So that's <laughs> <laughs> I put it at S tier, so maybe that counteracts all the karma I have for using his name for profit for the last four years. Mm, so yeah, that that yeah, that's how that works. That'll, that'll leave it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know I'm Catholic. I know how the whole penance works. Yeah, I'm not Catholic, but I can pretend to be if that's what the Wendigo wants. <laughs> if that helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Uh, on that note, that's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, thank you very much for watching the Red Thread. Like I said at the top, we've got. Uh, we've got we're on iTunes and Spotify we've got audio platforms that's what I was trying to say uh, big thank you to the sponsors of this episode um, AG1 and Rocket Money please go check them out below links to everything we've talked about including the show notes will be in the description below really appreciate everyone for the support it's been phenomenal um, people are really supporting the show especially over on Spotify Uh, It really does mean the world to all three of us to see how much you guys enjoy the red thread. Feel free to show it to some friends and family. Did I tell you guys that my my grandmother watches the show? Yeah, you brought that up. You told me that. It was adorable. Uh, Yeah. Shout out to you, uh, man. (laughs) Appreciate, Appreciate the view. I had I had my pastor say that he watched the the red thread that he checks it out after hey. the orgy comment he may not but oh, <laughs> yeah. until he's, then he's, he's, he's out ski well, after that it, when you go into a Wendigo episode you have to know that it's going to lead to an orgy it's, at some yeah, point that, it's part yeah. of the cultural <laughs> significance yeah yeah <laughs> it's going to get pretty uh pretty sexy yeah but but um, unironically thank you all so very much for watching the show yeah, it really means you. the world to like step out into these new projects and kind of test the waters like uh, let's see how people like it and then you all show up in droves it means a lot yeah Thank you. It really does and it lets us have fun it's it's a lot of fun talking about this stuff like we wouldn't have we wouldn't have the memory of uh all three of us going up to canada for a nice orgy without this show so i, I really exactly. appreciate yeah. that yeah. um yeah thank you very much for watching and we'll see you on the next episode of the red thread thanks goodbye bye everyone bye. thank you thank you all for watching goodbye